Hey guys, before today's episode of the podcast, I want you to text me 212-931-5731. If you don't, you're missing out. I'm putting all my eggs in the fucking text basket. 212-931-5731. This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Good morning. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, excited to be here this morning. I tend not to book um, keynotes on Mondays during football season. Uh, for exactly what happened yesterday. We're off to a very difficult start in New York Jets land. But I will try to muster up some energy. Um, So this is really fun and I I especially enjoy um, this kind of format with this many people in a room so we can go a little bit deeper. Obviously I am gonna do the deep dive after this so I'll continue the Q&A but I think I'm gonna allocate the 40 minutes here to maybe about 20 or 25 to establish this thesis that I think could bring some value to this room and then I really want to get into the details. I think even walking down the path and seeing all the faces here, I think the conversation is probably even more interesting than what I have here to say here. Let me, let me go with this. It, it's fun to speak about this concept of volume of creative um, in this environment of the advertising industry. I think for the people in this room that don't know, the context of the way I see the world comes from my upbringing and my my reality is no different than anybody else's in this room. And I've really enjoyed being in the advertising and creative field and media field for that matter over the last decade because I think that um, the serendipity of of how my life transformed really gave me some advantages. Uh, The nature of growing up very entrepreneurial and and being very much a merchant from lemonade to baseball cards and then ultimately kind of the core of my career uh, building my father's wine business. What's really interesting is when I made the transition in 2009 to starting VaynerMedia, I, I genuinely knew nothing about the advertising industry. I knew that at that point in my life there was a couple things that were really standing out which was A, I'd come to realize that I wasn't just a retailer and a businessman, that the way I actually built that wine business was really through marketing and that I was more of a marketer than I realized and B, at that point I genuinely believed the internet was grossly underestimated. I I was the beneficiary of email marketing and search and, and at that point YouTube and just the beginnings of Facebook and Twitter and I really did believe that Netflix and Amazon and Facebook were gonna be disruptive you know, to think back how, how right that ended up being and more importantly, I almost feel like we're in another version of that. What had happened is in 2009 when I started this company, I had already been very much involved in, in internet dynamic marketing and how it affected a business and, and I was flabbergasted that the world wasn't there yet at scale in understanding how important Google and email and, and YouTube was and so I thought there was an opportunity. Um, and that's how I feel about it today actually. I think coming up for air over the last year or two in some ways just thinking, I, I'm surprised by how the world continues to underestimate technology, how much we look backwards and, um, and how much we put ideology on a pedestal versus practicality. And, um, and I've learned a lot about why this industry as a whole does a lot of its things. I think in general client services is a very big challenge uh, for clients in a world where you're held accountable to publicly traded dynamics. I have a lot of empathy for holding companies having to make numbers every 90 days 
And, but that friction in the system has created a really interesting moment where the cat is so uncomfortably out of the bag of what's happening in our society, both politically, you know, socially, and transactionally and business-wise, and yet the far majority of money spent by the brands that allocate into partnerships that are happening this week at this event, I think are spent in a very non-practical way, in a very ideological way, and has created the vulnerabilities we're seeing in the ecosystem. And I, and I do predict and believe that the next decade is going to be quite difficult for the biggest brands of the world because they continue, in my opinion, to waste money um, on metrics that have nothing to do with their actual business. And that kind of leads me to the setup of here. I am not naive to knowing that the word volume um, in the creative field is sacrilege, that quantity immediately makes many people think that it can't be quality. And I have empathy for that. I understand where that comes from. I just also do not believe it to be true. Um, I believe that we are in an ecosystem and a consumer behavior now that requires every creative engine to produce a level of creative that has never been required of them in the past and it's grounded in what I think anybody who genuinely cares about the growth of something understands which is if you do not have relevance to an end person to get them excited to do something, you will not create what you want. This industry on the media side and then creative follows has become unbelievably one dimensional in a beating drum of potential reach potential reach and has completely, in my opinion, misfired to the reality of our consumer behavior, to the amount of time we spend in many different places and has really created a world where from a creative standpoint, I believe that we are selling vanilla at scale and nobody cares. And so the great advantage that I think Vayner has as a company where it's fully integrated on media and creative and strategy and production, but then also run by somebody who spends an awful lot of time outside of the Madison Avenue ecosystem and who, who's fortunate in the way that it, the business is structured to not be required for short-term metrics has really allowed us to lean into this thesis around volume. I believe that if you talk to anybody that's in the trenches running a brand that if you really poke and prod, the inability to get enough creative to take advantage of the media pipes that are in place is really the issue at hand. And so how do we get there? I mean, I think even looking at this audience, you know, it's stunning to me how many psychographic and demographic differences sit in this little room and how if I wanted you to buy this carrot you know, how many different things I would need to say, how many different places I would need that to be, how many different adjectives, how many different you know, concepts, how many different visuals would be required to get you to consider to buy it. And so the volume model for Vayner has been a quest that we've been on over a year, has subtly been in the halls in different ways for the entire decade, but very simply for this room, I believe our industry needs to produce a lot more creative for our clients. However that happens, whether that comes from PR agencies or media agencies or event businesses, the sheer requirement, I genuinely believe 
in this statement. If a brand came along, hired us, who I genuinely believe are leaders in building a creative department that's capable to produce content at scale, built the single best internal capability and had 20 to 30 people on it, required their publishing partners, the refineries, the pure wows, the vices, the bleachers, the you know, bar stools, required them to produce 10 to 50 times more content than they're getting in their scopes right now. Also required other partners of any sorts, their sampling agency, their shopper marketing agency, their events agency, to now, in that scope, deliver them hundreds, if not thousands of pieces of contextual creative, if it did all that, it would still be 50 to 80% short of the creative it needs to actually scale the opportunity in front of us. In a world where, for me, somebody who's obsessed with day trading attention is how I frame it. Where is the media arbitrage of the moment? Where are consumers' eyeballs and ears that our market, both us in Madison Avenue, Silicon Valley, and anybody else that would pump money into the system to have somebody see something, where are the white spaces? Currently, the two white spaces that have my attention the most are LinkedIn and TikTok, right? What's interesting about that is how many people don't recognize A, that opportunity at hand because the reporting infrastructure is not in place to justify the media spend, right? Because we, we live in an industry that is so dictated by the justification, not by the practicality of the consumer's actual actions, right? And so, A, in a world when something like that emerges, like that's, that's interesting to me. One year ago, sitting here, neither of those two platforms were on the tip of my tongue, right? The Musical.ly TikTok transaction was kind of forming. It hadn't rebirthed to what it is right now. Obviously, they seems like they have a monster presence here today. And actually, I'm, I'm doing, I think, a keynote later today with, right? <laughs> with TikTok, right? So, you know, that has happened. And then LinkedIn, which is really fascinating to me because unlike TikTok or Vine or Snap or Instagram, something that I think we've all come accustomed to, which is a new platform could emerge, starts at a youth level and then matures, LinkedIn as a content play has been around for such a long time, really started as a totally different product and has emerged really in my opinion as Facebook 2012. There is no platform right now that you can just right now on day one produce content and get organic reach at the scale that you get on LinkedIn and the permission to act as if you could talk about anything. Literally two years ago when I was dabbling, I would stay very rigid into business content, but I'm watching fitness influencers convert more meal plans on LinkedIn than Instagram right now. So in a world where that is the media landscape, including things like terrestrial radio getting inexpensive enough to be debated to go into, or Facebook group content dynamics, or the emergence of text content where it isn't just sales oriented but it will be content oriented. WhatsApp, creative knowledge. In a world where the attention of our customer is shifting so quickly because the internet won and now the platforms that layer on top of it can change quicker than the infrastructure of television or print took a long, much longer time for a print magazine to capture the attention of the consumer before we would run print ads in it. 
the internet winning and the app culture on top of it and later the voice culture on top of it requires incredible discipline to understand where the attention's shifting but then really the punchline of this conversation. Are we capable of creating contextual creative for that platform both in the nuances of that platform's utility but also and most importantly do we understand and do we care to understand the psychology of the user when they're in that feed? Every one of us is a different person when we're going through our LinkedIn feed than when we're going through our Instagram feed. It requires us as storytellers and marketers to actually then make contextual creative for that mindset even though the demographic or the data around you is the same. It's why I laugh about first party data a lot because if you play out the chess moves, the data becomes commoditized because there's so many data sets and I can get in front of every one of you. I can get in front of every one of you. I can find you. I can find you. The question is what do I say? It's no different than this keynote. I have your collective attention right now. The variable of this success for me is completely predicated on the creative that comes out of my mouth. And I think we need to have a far more sophisticated conversation around creativity in our industry. I think we've become very mathed out because it's the nature of technology. Makes sense, I understand. But what's so amazing to this, and I see some of the faces in some of the, I see two of the leaders in my creative department right now, kind of even with these lights on, I'm looking at her and him right now. What's amazing to me is I know both of them who have had very successful careers outside of Vayner, now sit at the tippy top of our creative department, realize something that many in this room do not if they hold creative on an emotional pedestal, which is the concept of creative at scale unlocks creative unlocks creativity. It has allowed us to storytell far more and more importantly, instead of us sitting in a room based on our titles and trying to be right on our audacious at best opinions, we now have the ability to find right for the end consumer at scale and finding right for 47 different cohorts leads to far more business growth than finding right to one kind of. So very simple and plain English, we need to produce, produce for big brands thousands of pieces of content a month across 13 different platforms where consumers consume and we need to drive them against metrics that suffocate the business results while not treating it like sales but treating it like brand. The place where, the, the concept of volume in creative always goes down the same cliche paths. This is not spray and pray. This is not sit in a room and eliminate strategy and just spray and pray and hope we get lucky with a viral tweet. This is truly understanding the 10 to 15 subsets that most drive the business, the heavy users. Who are the demographics that are actually buying this? What's happening in Amazon and Shopify versus what's happening at Walmart or Albertsons? Or if you're B2B, what's happening with the decision makers at the C-level suite? This is business. But this is understanding there's more than one person to get to and the days of trying to find one brand positioning to then go and push down from a TVC with matching digital luggage in banner ad and programmatic form is just extremely numb to 2018 consumer behavior. And so that's what we're thinking about. We're thinking about how do we understand that this is marketing for the sake of better marketing. That every single copy tweet or an animated GIF on LinkedIn or a two minute 12 second pre-roll video on YouTube 
is creating quant and qual information for us to build and bridge up. There's a reason, if you're paying attention at home, that it seems like Vayner might be up to something creatively and is starting to hit the radar. It is because of the friction between traditional and skilled strategy and creative work that this industry knows very well, but also with the overlay and on equal footing, the idea of creative at scale on a daily basis against actual customers leading to results. This all came from the world I grew up in. This all comes from the current landscape of every marketing institution that does not sit within the Madison Avenue, Fortune 5000 and agency landscape. This is what everybody else does except our industry. This is, what, this is how you buy. This is actually what you think is good. This is what you're actually consuming. It's just not happening in our industry because of the rules, right? The awards and the reporting. And because in classic historical business sense, <laughs> when you have people involved who ultimately the business is not theirs and people are just executives within machines, inevitably it's always behind because that's the nature of the history of business. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't look down on that. That's the reality of it. And so I do believe that the agencies and brands that most figure out how to actually produce thousands of pieces of content that are relevant to the most amount of end consumers that are creating creative, not two for one specials. This is not DR. Everybody when they hear you know, volume, they're like, oh, this is good for lower funnel conversion. Absolutely not. Yes, it can work. This is, this is brand. I mean, when is this industry gonna get tired of producing an enormous amount of expensive content that nobody actually sees? Like, we, what commercials are penetrating our culture? Have you ever been to a normal place and heard somebody talking about a TVC? Like, we, we, the, the, the stuff that people talk about is happening within the internet and is happening in all sorts of forms. I promise you, way more normal people know what the Instagram egg is than any television commercial that came out besides anything on the Super Bowl. And that's something we need to think about. We just need to have that conversation. I understand ideologically that's not fun to think about from a creative standpoint. But we need to go reverse. We need to be as religious as the great skill of writing the copy for a tweet that captures the attention of consumers that can then bridge into a two minute video that then can be the Super Bowl spot for that brand. We need to put that on a pedestal. We need to put contemporary things on a pedestal. Television commercials were completely shit on by the ad world because radio copy was the pedestal. This is historic. This is what always happens. And so we are living through a massive communications transformation and our industry needs to adjust to that reality and help our brands <laughs> grow their business. I mean, guys, 90% of Fortune 500 CPG brands are declining in market share. They're declining to brands that are starting on Shopify and running Instagram ads and creative on those platforms and it's happening at scale. And, and we spend 16 weeks coming up with a brand positioning and then come up with a tagline that means nothing to nobody because it's so fucking vanilla so that we can fit all the creative in it. That has to stop. It doesn't make sense. And so that's the framework. You know, that's the way I see it. That's what I'm seeing is successful. Um, 
And I think what would be most interesting right now is actually just to go into q and I think we've set it up and I'd like to go detailed on it but I'd like to know what everybody wants. So if there's any way to uh, maybe lower the lights a little bit and if you have a question, please raise your hand and I'll, we'll just, I'll repeat it and we'll take it from there. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Questions? Yes, sir. broadcast from your family store. Thank you. When I first uh, uh, I followed your career, I teach marketing. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, the question is, from my point of view, uh, people my age, I mean, I'm mid-80s, I'm still interested in all the things. That you look fucking on. great, by the way. <laughs> like, I did not see mid-80s coming out of your mouth. You look amazing, go ahead. My lady friend is 29. <laughs> that answers everything. Go ahead. No, no, the, uh, uh, what, I, what I wanted to know is what, what do you think is important? I wrote some things down. There are a couple of, of websites you mentioned I'm not familiar with. I'll ask my grandkids Understood. what they are. I'll yep. look them up. Yep. But tell me why the agencies that uh, try, I'm, as a member of the press, try to get me to write about their product, it is so boring that I don't even bother talking to them. It, well, for them, it's highly profitable. You know, and, I have, and I'm a businessman. I understand why, for example, the way you framed it, the creative agency landscape doesn't want to give up the TVC model because it's wildly profitable. You know, and, and so you know, running the business I'm running right now, it's wildly not profitable. Now, I'm not a dope. I'm doing it because I'm building Vayner for myself. I've made this very clear for the last decade. I've started this agency with the hope of when the economy collapses to buy some of the most historic brands in the world. I wanna buy Bubblicious. I wanna buy K-Swiss. That's what I wanna do. And so for me, I, the reason I know that it's very hard for people to replicate what we're doing is all the executives that would run that company would be fired by the holding company for running something that's underwater or just break even. You know, our creative team is enormous in comparison to the fees that we get because you have to make. We have a creative department that is making at scale. Uh, there's more people on it. There's more people on our, on our $1 million scope than there are on a $7 million creative AOR scope. Um, that's why they don't want to give it up because they're running a business. They're not worried about Coca-Cola or Pepsi or BMW's business. Can you give an example of something that your company has done that we might be familiar with? Yeah, I mean, we have, we have four craft brands right now from Kool-Aid to Planters that are all growing in business. Nusa Yogurt, you know, business grew. You know, we're, we're grow, rolling rock, like we're growing businesses. Like our KPI is not, you know, press or awards, and we're not against that. And as a matter of fact, I've tried to actually reinstill press and awards into Vayner because I don't want to suppress and demonize it too much. So, you know, everything's best when it's balanced, right? Um, and I believe in creativity, you know, it's very ironic. I believe in creativity the most. I believe creative is the variable of success. I believe have a tremendously unemotional media department that just understands where the consumer is and get in front of them and always be best at knowing where the, bless you, where the price is the best and then I think contextual creative at scale for those pipes, right? So we, we have a lot of play, we have growth at Frito-Lay. Like ironically, this year, 
the 15 to 20 places where we've deployed this Creative of AOR that we do, which is different, you know, almost all of them, one place we have not been able to grow the business out of all of them, and honestly, that made me happy because it reminds me that this is a casting game. I think of it like good sports organizations. There's a reason, unfortunately for me, there's a reason that the same teams tend to be good over time. It's called good ownership. They have a framework of how they do it. I know that the model of creative at scale, contextual, that's relevant to the end consumer and is actually consumed drives sales. That's business. Uh, But in the place that I'm referring to, we were unable to find the creative that actually got people excited. We just weren't able to. And as you can imagine, that's unusual in our model because we have so many at-bats. This is not one creative thing in one video, but it happened. But you know, our growth going into 2020, which is shaping up to be quite exceptional, you know, especially with the way I roll, a lot of times I feel like more than half our clients don't want me to be right with the audacity that I roll into the opening meeting with. You know, there's almost like a hope it doesn't work because they'd like to prove me wrong. But the, the reality is, is that this is historic. Procter & Gamble became the most successful consumer packaged goods company because they were the best and most committed to early television. Amazon became Amazon because they were the number one spender on Google AdWords for the first six years of the platform. Wish is a billion dollar retailer, an app, because they went pot committed into Facebook. Whoever understands the underpriced media and then understands how to be the best in putting creative into it, always wins. So, and then it also leads to, and though it was more of a classic play, but it leads into heavier creative that the industry respects. We got a lot of accolades and awards for our Dwayne Wade piece with Budweiser. It's a culture of understanding that a three minute or two minute, Adam, how long was it? A three and a half, four minute video on the internet can be talked about much more than a 30 second spot. That just makes sense if you don't work in our industry. I think everybody needs to talk to their normal friends more often. <laughs> you know, like that makes sense. Like, and by the way, think about how fun it is to be a storyteller when you're not confined to a 15 or 30 or six second or so. That's a framework. Yes, sir. Yep, you. Yeah. Um, YouTubers and, and Instagram influencers are making content like every day. Yes, they are. So do brands have to play at that level? I believe so. How do they keep up? By doing that. I, I do believe that brands, and I think where they got caught, look, history screws up the future for a lot of businesses. You know, brands making content every day in 2011 and 12 led to people putting out you know, a tweet that was like, happy flag day, brought to you by Nestle. You know, and everyone's like, fuck you, right? What, what I'm saying is not you know, put out something about pumpkin lattes, because that's like, what I'm saying is, Every business knows who it's targeting. And more importantly, I think everybody understands, first of all, there's two Americas, there's 50 different psychological and demographic things. Like, how do you put out something if you're a shampoo that over-indexes in the Latin American, you know, consumer against your Publix retailer in Florida? Like, you're gonna put out something different. You're gonna put out a piece of content in Spanglish. You're gonna do something different than if you're gonna target me to buy that same product. And so, yes, I do believe that. And you know, and I've been pumping quite a bit of like how much a personal brand needs to be putting out. Yeah, I, I just think it's the new requirement. Here's why, because it's available for you. Because you can. 
You know like how fun it is to like spend money smarter? Like when brands are like, Gary, how do I do this? I'm like, don't waste $8 million on dumb shit. (laughs) All of a sudden, miraculously, you have the money to do it. You know, and so it's amazing to watch companies easily spend a million bucks on something that means nothing. Like, yeah, let's, let's, you know, put our logo on a step and repeat at this NASCAR event for 500,000, um, but then like scrutinize producing content for the s- social platforms and want to do it for 350 for the year. Makes no sense, none. So yes, I do think that. Yes, back there, ma'am. Hey Gary, I'm Sarah. Hey Sarah. Gary, this model would require, I think, a very different approach to Yes. What kind of skill set do you Thanks Sarah. So, it takes a lot of things. It takes an enormous amount of humility, Sarah, which I think is very much lacking in the ad world. You know, if you look at the nature of how it's structured in people on people, the ad world is actually uncomfortably political and audacious by nature because you have to make a decision and somebody at the top does it and thus the queen or the king just does it. And so, you, you know, one of the things that I really struggled with was building a classic creative department because I wanted to taste it and see it. I let, that's how I learn. I can't read about it. You know, and we have great people and we have a, a really good culture and so I, I thought we could get there but just the nature of eight people sitting in a room ideating and then requiring the queen or the king to make that decision goes, you know, just as human nature. It's, it's why I laugh when people are like, ideas can come from anywhere. I'm like, no they can't. There's no intern in the ad world that's TV spot is running right now, right? It doesn't exist, it doesn't happen. Whereas in our model, the client has already come up with some of the best creative that's driven the business because you're producing so much. So, Sarah, it's a really great question. It, it, first of all, it's really tough at first on strategists, right? You win a new piece of business and I want to make content the next day. And strategy's like, yo, no, 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 I gotta go to the shop and cook for six weeks and tell you what to do. And I'm like, mm, yes, but I also need you to read on a daily basis what consumers are actually doing. And I need you to analyze post results on every single piece of content every day. So it takes, number one, Sarah, it takes humility. And that's a free, you know, completely different framework because it's bottom up instead of top down. Um, It also takes a lot of creativity. Where I really struggled with was I was super pumped about this idea. What I didn't realize was ideas were the oxygen. Think about coming up with 30 to 50, 80 pieces of content a day. You're completely at the mercy of ideas. And I didn't realize how much that worked for me or how that came natural to me or others. And I think we've had to really take a step back and understand people that are really idea makers at scale. And then it takes unbelievable ability to analyze qualitative feedback. Somebody who's a psychologist or an anthropologist by nature who can read 57 replies to a single piece of content and she can see the insight of what we need to build on top of that. It wasn't the peanut butter joke, it was escapism from the 80s when you were a kid. You know, so it's, um, it has taken, we are completely rebuilding something in a way that there's so many great nuances from the classic world but, but we absolutely are, are creating a totally different framework. Yes. Hi, my name's Gloria. Hi, Gloria. Um, thank you so much for-
Thank you. Um, I'm very curious for someone like me who's just now getting into the industry, um, you know, just having graduated. How would you suggest that people like me go into these teams in the industry that have been doing a, some, like something a certain way for so long, and instead of coming off as this kind of cocky know-it-all, try to challenge the things that have been not working now um, to prepare them for the future? I think I think it's about casting. You have to have the serendipity to actually find a leader who actually values your point of view and doesn't look at it as a punk kid who has no idea what she's talking about. Um, and they exist. They're not just at our company. There are so, you know, the amount of secret emails that I get every day from people in the industry from their Gmail account that say things like, I work at an agent, you know, but like, keep going, keep going, you know? And so, you know, it's, it's about finding the right person. You know, you're gonna need somebody to be your rabbi and guide you through that because the machine isn't built for that. And, um, and you have to be, you have to understand it's a business. You know, and a lot of companies aren't built to be able to lean into TikTok or LinkedIn right now because the scope isn't built that way. The nature of a bottom-up creative department that's so great is you can navigate very quickly. It's just, you're ready to make. You know, our creative department makes. And um, so I think to answer your question, when you're interviewing or I don't know what you're up to, but you're gonna need to find somebody who's gonna protect you to give you a chance to have that conversation. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. What's your name? Hey, Madison. Facebook. Organic. That's why I'm referring to it as Facebook 2011. It scares me that you can put a brand on LinkedIn, post something that you would think belongs on Facebook and just watch what it does, you'd be shocked. And, and this is the great advantage. This is the unlock if you're curious about the Gary B thing, right? One of the things that is so important to me about continuously putting out content, one, Clearly through my DNA, I enjoy it and I want to communicate to the world no different than anybody else. But you, you, have to, you have to imagine how nice it feels to me to sit on top of a thousand person global agency at scale and know deep down that there are very few people on earth that are more of a practitioner of creative and media across all platforms than me. You know, I'm competing with CEOs that have no context. And that's an advantage and it's an audacious statement but there's a lot of truth in it. I'm putting out an enormous amount of content daily and I'm learning and it's built on humility. I never think, I never think I'm right. I think the customer's right and I just watch what the customer's doing. And so um, that's fun. That's a huge advantage and so that's the answer. You got it. Yes, sir. How are you? I'm Michael. Hey, Michael. Please. Your raw thought, uh, thoughts beyond those. In the spirit of thesis, if you agree, first, if you agree, that uh, legacy thinking, legacy org structures, very siloed budgeting and things, are holding the top 20 advertisers or some of them back, how long do you think before they get it right? What do they, got to, what do they, need, to do, what do they need to do to get it right? I think until Wall Street rewards public CEOs for long-term behavior and you start seeing CEOs sit in place for 11, 12, 15 years, until that happens, the agencies are gonna be able to, and now the consulting firms 
because the evolution of the holding companies are clearly gonna be the Accentures and the holding codes. They're gonna continue to pray. There's no accountability. You know, if you're a CEO for 38 months, 42 months, like, this is just big business. I'm thrilled. Just to make it on the record, I have no interest in convincing anybody of anything I've just said. I mean it, zero. I'm literally doing this to be historically correct. Um, that's actually it, that's it. <laughs> um, you know, like, you're absolutely right. You know, but that's the great genius of the holding company moves over the last 30 years. I think it's one of the great business executions of all time. We've watched client service businesses consolidate in an M&A banking environment at scale to be able to extract the value out of the biggest companies in the world because of the lack of continuity at the C-suite on the biggest companies in the world. It's a, it's a masterful banking exercise. Has nothing to do with creativity. I laugh. Producing vanilla shit. My friend, I sit there and I, I, want, I respect, like I'm obviously extremely, I have a lot of conviction, right? And a lot of passion, a lot of jersey, and a lot of, a lot of things in me. Um, but when I sit with the 10, 15 biggest holding co creative shops, which are all of them, outside of Wyden, right? All the creative shops, and obviously we're in the market for a CCO, and I'm actually really deep in our creative department right now, and I'm having a ton of meetings. And watching the naivete of senior creatives in this industry thinking they're on the right side of creativity while they work for a bank in Europe, it makes me feel sad. I don't know what else to tell you. They think because 14 people know who they are and can for one week that they're, <laughs> I mean it's true. Like, I mean what are we talking about here? People work for banks. They, 90% of the people in this arena, this, this building over the next week are Excel sheet numbers for a CFO. This industry lacks enormous heart. And right now I know I get made fun of. I watch the LinkedIn comments. I ironically mainly get fun of by my competitors, which is always how I want it. Um, and I watch them and they talk and they talk amongst themselves and I look at it and they're high-fiving each other and I feel bad for them. Not because I, I'm audacious or think I'm cool, it's because they're completely blinded in the framework of what they work for. As if. Ladder up to the top, my friends. Who's ultimately sh- signing your check? And just like, and then, and then what hurts my feelings, and this is where my humanity kicks in, thank God my mom gave me that. I feel bad because they're gonna fight this fight and they're gonna get fired. So, wait till you see what happens in our next economic downturn. If you think the carnage in the ad world in 2009 when a lot of people got let go was bad, it is going to be so, so, so bad this time because they're all built for the world we don't live in anymore so they're gonna get doubly hurt. Who do you think's gonna get the business when the economy collapses? The people that are proving business results at lower costs. We're, we're out here signing scopes for $3 million where the year before in creative fee, where the, as an AOR, where the year before they were paying seven, nine, and within four months they're getting 2x the business results. Eventually that's gonna play out. And honestly, I have no interest in Vayner becoming the next holding co. I'm really here to inspire young ladies like that to never sell their company one day. 
The way this is gonna change is by somebody like me coming along, showing that you can stay independent at scale and inspiring a generation of creative shops to stay independent. 72 and Sunny and Crispin and Droga, they didn't stay independent. And that's the end. Yes, sir. I'm gonna sneak this last one in. And I'm gonna, I'm, gonna go, I'm, I'm gonna go to the deep dive thing. I have no idea where that is, but I'll see you there. Edgar. Uh, so how would you approach a relatively new industry where you're selling a product that doesn't exist and there's no competition? Would you approach it the same way or would you go about it a different way? I would approach it the same way. Edgar, I would approach this, this I'm building this communications platform to cure Crohn's disease because my brother has it, to make Claude Silver my chief heart officer, the president of the United States of America, to, like this is a communications death star. This is how you get everything across, right? So every, like every, with the internet, my friend, everything is gonna become commoditized except communication. This is the best industry to be in. The problem is everyone's got their head up their ass into yesterday and don't realize the game they're actually playing. And I'm out here beating a drum, getting heavily scrutinized from within, but not from without. And that's what I'll, I'm, I've got thick enough skin for the little jokes that everybody has at these agencies. I'll just see them in 2030 and we'll count score then. Thanks guys for listening. Please, please, please share the podcast and make sure you've subscribed because a bunch of you aren't subscribed and more importantly, a bunch of you listen every day and haven't told your friends it's the best podcast in the world. I'm watching. <laughs> Have a great day.